Hi, hello. Welcome to the Dirty Rabbit Hole Dark Fiction Podcast. I'm Michael Foreman, author. Hi again, it's Michael Foreman, author, calling to you all the way from the Dirty Rabbit Hole Podcast. For all things that are dark fiction, yes, my narratives are a little psychological thriller, are a little neo-noir erotica, mystery and crime all thrown into one. Adults only, of course. If you're a kid, you're probably not going to get any idea of the topics that I talk of. But if you're over the age of, say, 30 and you've been around the traps, it'll probably make a lot of sense to you. Recently, I've been giving you excerpts from my novel, Darkness Awakes. And once again, here is an excerpt. It's Chapter 3. Between November and January, at the end of most days, anvil-shaped clouds rise high into the sky and dump their load onto a thirsty landscape. The storms often form about 150 kilometres to the southwest of Brisbane, looming over the border ranges, sucking in their heat and spewing out electrified fire and torrential rain. Purplish arcs bridge their blackened underbellies to the ground below it. Sheet lightning glows throughout the cloud layers above, making the storms appear alive, a quickened mind with synaptic connections, awareness of their own existence. As the sun descends beyond the horizon, exchanging the crimson light for magenta, the flashes of purple-white light grow frantic in the thickening cloud. Brisbane people know that evil will arrive, and there's every chance that one such monster will crawl eastwards to stalk and torment them. They understand how ruthless these storms can be because they have killed before. When hell is unleashed, it can be every man, woman and child for themselves in a survival battle. Fortunately, much of their energy is released before reaching the city. It's the dusty, unpopulated outback to the west that becomes the recipient of the beast's lustful urges. City folk aren't familiar with this level of ferocity. Most are only aware of the post-orgasmic panting and puffing as the storms head for the sea. Needless to say, this horny creature can take his business anywhere. Fragile bodies made of soft flesh and thin bone are no match for this kind of molestation. He wants sex or death, and it's better to accept rape than the alternative. Fools run from aroused storms. Queenslanders live with this routine every summer, and they know the danger. They're used to him. They even welcome his probing hands, because he also brings relief by ending the unbearable heat. Brisbane's humidity increases terribly during the summer. For every degree of rising temperature, the humidity adds three more. Fifteen minutes in bed with him is all it takes to turn on the cool. It's a worthy and acceptable exchange. I've spent most of my adult life trying to photograph these fascinating creatures and their absurd relationship with humans. I've even come close to capturing the perfect image. Unfortunately, perfection still eludes me. There's always something lost in transferring what I feel when I see the storms to the printed art. I've tried to achieve it, 
I've chased the storms all over our city, watching and studying them, trying to predict what they're thinking and where they're likely to release themselves. I know so much, but I still cannot get that one magical shot to speak to me. The lens has betrayed me for years. Since the government's meteorological department began sending radar images live to the internet, my job became easier. I used to have to watch the storm from a high vantage point and guess what it'd do. Now I watch the storm's progress on my computer at home. When the patterns of colour change on the map, I know the game's on, and I grab my camera and head out to a location I know it will pass over. My wife's never approved of my little hobby. She thinks I'm a fool for unnecessarily putting my life in danger. She used to ask me about why I did it, and why I'm still doing it after so long. <laughs> she doesn't ask any more. There are no new answers. These days, she accepts what she sometimes refers to as my seemingly ridiculous pursuit. I must say, though, she shouldn't be the one to judge. Sam's oversensitivity towards all things would make Mother Teresa look like a reckless carnival gypsy. Sam's too safe to be that adventurous. Everything she does is perfectly orchestrated. She never swears or boasts. She doesn't care for politics, scandals, fools or people who gossip. She works hard, dresses conservatively and always minds her manners. She's the perfect hostess. She's the envy of many. What people never see is the real woman with whom I live. For instance, there's that particular way she has her food arranged on her plate. Her underwear must be hung in just the right way. Every clock in our home, including the ones she had me install in the lavatory and the shower, has to be precisely synchronised to her watch. Every day. She keeps four different day planners on the go, and that's not including the master diary that sits on our kitchen bench. She has one in her car, one in her office at home, one that travels to work with her in her briefcase, and the fourth is a spare, just in case. Every birthday, anniversary, public holiday, school holiday, an event in our life is checked and cross-checked against her master diary at the beginning and end of every day. She's pinned a calendar to the inside of our food pantry and another beside the washing machine. The garage has a large one hanging on the back wall, in a position where it can be seen over the bonnet of her car. She says it's there to be decorative, to dress up our dull garage, but I know that's not the real reason. The marks and handwriting that miraculously appear on it every day is for another purpose. Lastly, she has a small calendar stuck to the refrigerator door, held in place, ironically, by a fridge magnet with a small clock on it. Let's face it, we can't shit, sleep, eat or breathe without her planning it. If it's not written down, it just doesn't happen. By the time we turn in for the night, she has gone to each of her calendars and diaries, drawn a diagonal line through the current day with her felt-tipped pen. This concludes the working day and signifies the sleeping component cycle. I say that she's obsessed with time. Sam prefers to say that she's efficient. 
Oh, yes, she's efficient. There's no doubting that. Well, I'm a slob compared to her. Someone like me messes up such efficiency. I don't write all my plans down. I don't time myself when I use the toilet. As you can imagine, my world often collides with hers. When it does, she explodes. Sam will withdraw and be evasive for several days. I'll sleep inches away and she won't acknowledge me. She's also overcautious about everything. Show her a picture of a boat and she'll get seasick. If she rides in an elevator, she'll gag. She's afraid of heights, the dark, loud noises, aeroplane flights and most animals. She's afraid for children not fitted with safety harnesses and adults who walk near the edges of stairs. A sniffle is a sign to a potential life-threatening condition. She's good with a calendar, but lousy at living a life. One day, I had a fabulous idea to buy us bicycles. We talked about our lack of exercise, and I thought riding would help us improve our fitness. A small and seemingly harmless suggestion, right? She was melodramatic about it and accused me of not consulting with her first. She rejected my idea, citing a recent tragic event where a young cyclist had been hit and killed by a car. She said my suggestion was absolutely ridiculous. Well, an hour later, the phone rang and it was her friend calling. Suddenly, the bicycle idea wasn't so bad. She laughed into the receiver and the caller was told several times that she was looking forward to the experience. She told everyone at work, she called her parents and told them what we were planning to do. I knew she was keen because she made a note in her master diary for the following Saturday between 9.45 and 10.30am. Bicycle shopping. At breakfast on the Friday morning, I asked her, what do you want to do tomorrow? Her response was predictably abrupt. It's on the calendar. Go and have a look. I didn't need to but I walked away anyway. When we got to the showroom the next morning and she saw all the bicycles, her eyes lit up. She squealed and danced around like a child, pointing to the colourful accessories that dressed them. Can I have one of those, Mitchell? I've always wanted a pink basket. Where did that spontaneity come from? And a shiny bell too. I want one of those. Look at this one here. Look at my face in the reflection, Mitchell. It's funny. The salesman fitted a bell to the handlebars of her new bike and she squealed again. Her face beamed in the most exquisite and childlike manner. It all seemed quite remarkable. This conservative, organised woman was behaving out of character. Even the salesman appeared unsettled by all the noises and claps. Sam looked at her distorted reflection and began to pull faces. Look, Mitchell! Look at how weird my face looks this time. Look! We walked the bikes to the car and she rang that bell all the way. All I could do was shrug my shoulders at the people we passed along the path. What I didn't know was that while I believed she was acting, Sam's enthusiasm was very real. She'd regressed to a time in her childhood when she had received a new toy. Was she seeing herself pedalling her new bicycle across fields of clover and daffodils? Sunday came, and it was time to take the bikes on their maiden voyage. It started out okay. 
It was a fine, warm day. The birds were twittering in the garden, and Sam's smile beamed broadly as she skipped across the driveway in her white joggers. Oh, goody, she said. Mine is just lovely. It's got a pink basket. I can't wait. I'm so excited about this. I rolled the bikes out of the garage and kicked their stands out. They stood upright and gleamed brilliantly in the sunshine. She clapped and hugged me. Do you think we'll go far today? We'll go as far as you like, okay? Oh, goody. Goody? What the hell happened to my wife? Normally she'd want to be consulted on such a matter. Where, when, and how long this riding event would take place. Goody wasn't a consultation. Goody wasn't written on a calendar. Goody wasn't even in her vernacular. She couldn't take her eyes off it. I handed her a helmet. Well, stop staring at it and get on. And take this. I need to fit it to your head. Hurry up, Mitchell. I want to go now. Yeah, yeah, okay. Just put this on. Once her chin strap was adjusted, I mounted my own bike. She couldn't contain her excitement and rolled her bike back and forth. Look, Mitchell, I'm riding. I'm really riding. Just be careful. We're going to turn these around and head down the driveway. Are you ready? We'll take it slow at first, okay? Let's go, Mitchell. Hurry. All right. Come on. We kicked our stands back and moved along the bitumen drive, Sam giggling and ringing her bell already. Can you hear my bell, Mitchell? I'm ringing it. Yes, dear, I can hear you ringing your bell. We turned right and rolled along the footpath, then right again at the end of the block. I could hear Sam's infectious laugh behind me. I'm going fast now, Mitchell. This is faster than I've ever been. <laughs> Whee! Oh, my God. Who was this stranger? It wasn't all that fast, but to her, it must have seemed so. At least she was enjoying herself. I turned left onto a short dirt track that led down a slope to a concrete bikeway and had made it halfway down when suddenly I couldn't hear her bell anymore. I couldn't hear her giggling either. I applied the brakes and turned around to witness her vomiting uncontrollably over the handlebars and into her pink basket on the front. She swayed and then collapsed onto the grass a second later. I got off my bike and ran back to her. Pulling her bike from between her legs, I asked, What's wrong? What happened? She didn't respond. Her mouth was open and her hand motioned to vomit. When her stomach spasms subsided and her pale face had some colour in it, she told me that she'd never ridden on dirt before. She said that riding on dirt tracks always made her sick. If it wasn't a concrete or a bitumen track, her stomach would get sick. At first, I didn't understand. How can someone who has never ridden on a dirt track know that they're always sick when they ride on them? And how can riding on three metres of compacted earth make anyone that ill anyway? I didn't want to believe it. I thought she was stronger than that. Instead, I thought something else had caused it, like what she had for lunch. But we'd both eaten the same thing. I wasn't sick. When she was well enough to stand, her demeanour changed. According to her... I should have told her that we were going to ride on dirt before we left. She accused me of making her sick on purpose. I tried to explain that this wasn't the case and that the dirt track was as hard as concrete, but she wouldn't hear of it. She thought I was being condescending. 
We walked our bikes back home in silence. Sam letting go of hers when we reached the house. It fell over, landing hard against the driveway. She walked off and headed back up the stairs. Sam, come back. Let's talk about... I don't want to talk. I set my bike against the garage door and I heard the back door slam shut. Somehow, I'd become a villain. I waited a while and called to her, but there was only silence. Feeling that it was pointless to continue watching a closed door, I went to her bike to remove the bits of sour, soggy sandwich from its basket, the frame, the front wheel, and that damn bell she made such a big deal over. I hoped that she would return as soon as she'd calmed down to give it another try, but it never happened. That was five years ago. The bikes are now covered with dust and spiderwebs. Sam's capable of many things, but pride and anxieties block her from doing most of them, especially if there's a hint of danger involved. This is why she'll never accompany me on any of my photography nights. There's too much uncertainty involved with all that wind, rain and lightning. Thank goodness, I say. I'd hate to keep cleaning stomach juices from my seat covers. She might despise my storm chasing, but she's learned to accept it. She has to. Pride keeps her from saying stop. Yes, she grants me this indulgence because a supportive wife never asks a husband to give up his hobby. Sam would never be able to live with herself if she did that. There is another underlying reason, but she'll never talk about that one. She's incapable of doing so. Sex isn't a discussion worth discussing. So she fills her diaries with things to do during the days and then I disappear to chase storms at night. There's never a time to talk about sex. There's never a time to perform it. You figure out why the calendars are so important to her and why storm chasing is tolerated. Oh well. I'm used to this arrangement now. I even pray for the storms to come and terrorise us so I can get out more often. I know I'm not perfect either. I have flaws. So my trips away actually save us. The separation brings us closer. It brings us peace. I figure Sam came to the same conclusion. Separation was easier than looking at each other, wondering how to fill in our time without sexual contact. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure she's very much concerned about my welfare during these wild storms. But she knows that when I'm gone, she won't feel obligated to defend herself from my advances. I think she looks forward to watching me drive off into the night. If only she knew. Ours used to be such a romantic and promising relationship. We used to look forward to seeing each other at the end of the day. Now it's all about ducking and dodging each other and looking for ways to escape the awkwardness. What we should have been doing was shutting our mouths and making some love. We should have thrown caution to the wind and let nature take its course when it needed to. But no, Sam wouldn't have it. She didn't want to. Making love isn't part of any plan. It's a desire without boundaries, frivolous, and as such doesn't fit into a scheme. It doesn't fit anywhere into anything. With Nina, it's always about sex. Talking doesn't take place until she's sexually satisfied. You could talk to Sam until you're blue in the face, but those legs still won't open. If I were allowed to say what's on my mind, I would suggest less chatter and a crowbar or two. A decent romp in the bedroom is what any doctor would order. 
I know Sam would never agree with such a diagnosis. She'd find something else to use for an excuse. She always does. Of course, it was logical that I had to give up on her. Why fight a battle that can't be won? Ending one is much easier. I can simply walk away and give her the space we fought over. She can have it, and I can use the storms as a cover to escape war. Sam can keep her peculiar ways and her unavailable body. Let me have the storm so I can find the time and inspiration to take what I have to Nina. Because of my obsessions, I've lusted over both of them, the storms and Nina. I've enviously salivated over their freedom to take what they want when they want it. I've recently become a new student of sexual warfare, and I've marched my soldiers across to Nina's territory. I've taken her with force and waged a new battle over her body. Thunderstorms don't negotiate. When I'm with Nina, neither do I. Storms don't accept rejection. I see them erecting their majestic pillars of cloud without fear. Their horny centers grow and throb, and there's not a thing anyone can do about it. They slide themselves on top and rape at will. Doing so without regret. When a storm's done, it climbs off, moves on, free of emotion, free of guilt. What a fabulous way to live. That's what I do to Nina. She has been my sexual release, my emotional freedom, my innocent victim. But I'm still not satisfied. I've wanted this very thing to appear in my photos too, a submissive victim who lays down her life for the pleasure of a lusting attacker. It's the scenario I've wanted at home, with my wife, a way to disassociate from emotion and take her the way I want, the way I need to. Unfortunately, my mother's words block me. Mitchell, my son, no means no. Oh, why can't I get past that? Why can't Sam just say yes? I've been good. I've been patient. I've tried to accept this celibate marriage. But why do I? Why do I need to stay dry all the time? Why can't we have a little rainfall? Everyone needs rain. It never rains for us. Now I need for it to storm. I become a voyeur, fast growing jealous of my storms. They have the power to do what I can't. I love them very much, but I hate them so much more. You'd think I'd gone mad. Sometimes I think I have. After the storm has passed, my loins are burning. I pack away the camera and drive on a little further to take a furious plunge into Nina, to explode as a storm would, but all I do is ejaculate. There's a sticky mess, but the frustration remains. While my wife continues to infuriate me year after year, stretching my patience, tormenting me with her naked body as she showers, I'm left empty and ruined. I have a pride that's been mutilated to a pulp and all I have is this unhealthy attraction to storms and the disrespect I give to Nina. Visiting her makes up for much, but there's something else I need from her. I don't know what it is, but I'll know when I find it. And that is Chapter 3. I hope you enjoyed it. The chapter is taken directly from my book, Darkness Awakes. It's available on Amazon.
You can get it as a paperback, and it's also available in the modern-day format, digital format, that is, and you can get it for your phone, your laptop, your Kobo, your Kindle, whatever. Just go to Amazon, type in Darkness Awakes by Michael Foreman, and it will give you the option there to download the digital file. And it will even give you recommendations as to which file is best for your electronic device. The book is only a couple of dollars. It's free if you're a member of Kindle Unlimited. If you'd like to know more about me, you can come to my website at www.mfp.com.au forward slash your throat. That's M for Michael, F for Foreman, P for publishing, .com.au forward slash your throat for more information. And you can find out all about me and the kind of material that I like to write. You can get a bit of an idea already from these excerpts. Speaking of the excerpts, chapter one and chapter two have already been uploaded. Just look for them in the Dirty Rabbit Hole podcast, wherever you currently get your podcasts from. And there's more material before that. There's character dissections and plot explanations as well. I don't give it all away. There's lots and lots of the material there to find out what Darkness Awakes is all about. It's the prequel to my next novel, which is called Waves of Darkness. It's also available on Amazon. But we're not doing excerpts from that book at the moment. We're just talking about Darkness Awakes. Come to my website, have a look around, subscribe to the podcast, and wherever you are in the world, I hope you're having a really great day. But just remember, it can always rain on your parade. See you next time. (laughs) 